Well, 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 it is Tuesday, and that means it is time for a brand new episode of Oral Sessions. Guys, I am so pumped for this episode. You know, you start John Moxie, you got on Josh Barnett. Now, this man here, I mean, listen, I don't want to blow too much smoke up his ass. He's arguably one of the most popular wrestlers, and he's not even done it in seven years. Today, I am joined with the one, the only, the voice of the voiceless, the straight edge superstar, the best in the freaking world. Yes, guys, I convinced CM Punk to sit down with me and he let me pick his brain. He was an open book about absolutely everything, which I thoroughly appreciated. What a guy. So without further ado, let's do this. It's clobbering time, baby. messaged you about doing this podcast you were nice and agreed to doing it and i was like well we don't have to talk about wrestling but of course we have to talk about wrestling at least in some capacity this is a wrestling podcast isn't it no it's not it just has wrestlers on it (laughs) (laughs) it's different up to this point wrestling wise it's only you and john okay i mean josh barnett josh barnett to a degree josh is a wrestler yeah absolutely okay i guess that kind of counts um, but anyways, okay. So I mean, I know, haven't wrestled in seven years and I'm still a wrestler. So yeah, that just never goes away. Right. Like once no, you're a wrestler, no. you're just a wrestler, especially the way that you came through it all. I mean, that's just who you are. It's your identity. Well, what are people going to know me as I'm Phil, the wrestler. Does that bother you on the other side of everything that you've done though, and not doing it anymore and trying to, no, no, not at all. I lumped that in the same category as like regrets like why are you going to try to run from something and why are you going to spend your time looking back on could have should have done you know like whatever like yeah. i'm i'm filled the rest now I, <laughs> I, I did that for i mean how long did i do that for you know ever yeah, yeah exactly looking back i mean as i said i was watching your documentary and the show starts with you saying like i want to change wrestling i'm not gonna be able to do it from my couch i gotta get out there and do it myself so looking at everything that's happened from that point to everything else that went on to happen with wwe to you leaving what do you think of like this state of wrestling now and the way that it truly has changed to a degree since you've left but obviously there's a ton of things that haven't changed yeah the more they change the more they stay the same for ego purposes, because while I do have one, it's not as big as people like to imagine it is. I don't take credit for anything that happened. I do think there's probably a lot of people that wouldn't currently have jobs if it wasn't for me, but I'm That's more a big along deal, I'm more along the lines of like if I ever helped you get a job, I was happy to do that. And I always did stuff for the right reasons. And if I'm no longer friends with certain people that I helped get there, like, I'm not like, oh, I wish I never helped you. I'm just like, you know, whatever. Like, I know what the truth is. They know what the truth is. Yeah. For like the Kevin Steens and like the Sami Zayn's, like, I don't take credit for any of their success. I don't take credit for Daniel Bryan getting the main event of WrestleMania. But the truth is, a lot of that shit probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for me. Or, or at least for the, the the vacuum that I, I created when I left. Yeah, you laid the groundwork for so many people. I mean, shit, my husband included. You brought him in to a degree, right? With the Shield stuff? But yeah, um, the whole Shield thing was I needed guys to work. That was it. Super selfish, honestly. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know if you remember Eric Pankowski. Mm-mm. Eric Pankowski was... Um, was somebody that was hired to be a head writer. And that that is a job that has an expiration date. Oh so, my God, does it ever? What a hot yeah, seat he wasn't, he wasn't. I don't he wish that job for, on anybody. He wasn't there for a long time, at least. And one of his ideas was, we want to have some guys with you, some bad guys to protect you. You know, you'd be chicken shit heel. And I was like, great. And he said, Daniel Bryan and Big Show. And I was just like, why don't we use guys that nobody's seen before instead of all these guys that have already had this on-screen history that for better or for worse have been beat by everybody probably me included up at, at that point so like why don't we get some new blood in there and i went right to vince and triple h and i was like we got to use some young guys and there's guys that are ready and nobody else was watching fcw and saying hey we need these guys up these guys are ready they're not getting any better down there they're at the point where they need to be on the road at least like let's get them up let's get them up they obviously, for whatever reason, didn't want Chris Hero as a part of it, and they were high on Roman Reigns. So they, of course, that was yeah. As so they, they came, so they came back with that, and I was like, yeah, great. 
let's do it because it needed, it needed, we needed new blood. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's always kind of the case, you know, trying to bring in new people and get some new faces in there. I mean, that's always going to be the story and see who kind of sticks and whatever. But anyways, we don't have to focus on that or the shield or, or any of that, but your time in WWE is done. What do you miss the most from wrestling in like the seven years that you've been gone? Cause I know you still watch, you still keep up to a certain degree. Um, God, what do I miss? I, I mean, to a point I'll speak on when you reached out to me and you were like, Hey, I heard <laughs> Fox might want you to do this thing and it yeah. would be with me. And I, you know, like, I mean, I hadn't spoke to you and years how long right years people people in i was hoping i still had the same number i was like is this him people in the bubble don't speak to people outside the bubble it's just the way it is there's going to be uh exceptions to that rule but more than likely people in the bubble lose contact with people outside the bubble and that that's just life you know everybody there's on the road for so long it's hard to remain in contact with people outside the bubble but you reached out to me and I was like, there's no way Fox wants me to do this. There's no way it, it would was get a hard approved. pitch. I give you yeah. a hard pitch. <laughs> no, but like, so that that's one of the things I'd miss. People like yourself. You're a peach. I'm not gonna sit here and put you over, you know, you know Come how on. cool you you know how cool you are. <laughs> um, so there's obviously people that I miss and I miss seeing friendly faces although they were few and far between while you were there but you were one of them but they become your family you got me to fucking come back to this shit show that whole thing honestly blows my mind that we pulled that off because i never thought i mean when i reached out to you to come and do backstage i mean i obviously thought that it was such a long shot i was like there's no way He's going to want to do this. There's no way he's going to want to come be a part of wrestling without actually being in the ring. I figured you having anything to do with wrestling, it would just be within a ring again. Um, So for you to come and be a part of that, obviously the caveat of that being that you're working for Fox and not for WWE. And, you know, especially at that time, it was like, the show's going to be different and we can do whatever we want and it's going to be great. Obviously that kind of changed a little bit farther down the line, but the experience with Fox was great, but it was such a bummer to have that show come to a screeching halt. Like, yeah. That was so sad. Yeah. It was so cool to be able to work together again and like, yeah, get to see those familiar faces and connect on a certain level like that. If there's anything that I miss, you know, I, I would say it's 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 probably that. I don't think too much about the crowd and the uh, the adrenaline you would get from being in front of a, a, a live audience and performing. And that's all gone right now anyway. I mean, I know everyone's obviously just like dying for you to hurry up and step back in a ring at some point, but without having a crowd there, like <laughs> still, I mean, that's always the talk, the CM Punk chants, which now in the Thunderdome, we don't get those, but they should pump those in if they wanted to make <laughs> the show realistic. They you know should. what I mean? If they were, if they were really interested in giving the fans of a, a true WWE experience, give the universe what they yeah. want, like pipe in the Let CM those Punk chants be out there. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Let's keep it real. Um, so you leave WWE, you're very passionate. You are a all in kind of guy when you're committed to doing something. So of course that brings us to something that nobody ever fucking does. People say they want to do it. You put in the hard work, the hours you went and bought a place in Milwaukee to go out and train to step into an octagon. Walk me through that whole process of wanting to cross over into the MMA world. I mean, I know you're a huge fan and still, you know, remain to be one, but that whole process, what went down? You know, I always wanted to do it and being on the road eight days a week for how long WWE people are on the road for, uh, I could never train consistently. I had planned on leaving, uh, when my deal was up in 2000, like at the end of 2010 or 2011 or what it was. Um, and like, that was kind of my plan because I I always thought like, if I was going to train it was never just going to be a hobby for me. So the idea was I was going to leave. I needed time off anyway, but I would just devote a lot of time to full-time training. And then whenever, you know, I thought, cause I wasn't at that time, I thought like, a, you know, I, I wasn't a big enough name to where somebody was just going to be like, Hey, it's a spectacle. It's a freak show. Like everyone wants to watch you fight. So I was just going to do it 
possibly what you would say the right way. I was going to train. I was going to do amateur fights. I was just, you know, just going to just take my life in a different direction just because I wanted so that, to do it. And you wanted to go amateur before deciding, Hey, let's go full UFC. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. I, I did, I did the way I did everything, the way everything unfolded was 100% backwards. And you know, everybody's journey in life is different. So sure. I never bothered to try to compare my path to somebody else's path. I think it's easy for somebody to sit on the outside and be like, this bum just went right to the UFC and he of didn't course. deserve it. But those people more often than not, they don't understand business, let alone the fight business. Um, well, it also comes down to, like I was saying, it's like the balls to be able to actually go, well, fuck it. This is the opportunity that's in front of me. And you better believe I'm going to put in the work and do the best that I can to step in. Cause that's just where life has led me to this point. Well, that's kind of, you know, I think a lot of people out there, who are critical of, of me and the performances will say, Oh, I'll get beat up for a million dollars. But my, my retort to that was always do the work that I did to get to the point where somebody would offer you that kind of money because there would be an audience to see you fight like 73 Twitter followers doesn't (laughs) equate to a million dollar payday to fight, you know, but like I said, everybody's path is different. And then I, I guess I, I got a little hot there at the end of my, uh, my run in WWE and I was faced with an opportunity. It was like resign for three more years, even though I was already shot, I was already pretty mentally and physically exhausted. And I obviously, I obviously resigned and then that kind of delayed everything for another three years. And then the idea was, let's do this before you get too old. And, you know, God damn it. Turns out I was too old. <laughs> <laughs> but shit, it's like, again, like, I mean, I can relate just in the, in the parallels of like being in WWE and like, I'm not physically doing anything there, but just what that toll takes on you, you step away from there and it feels like you have this whole new life. You finally have the time to do the things that you've wanted to do these other back burner projects that now you yes. can pour your entire self into I mean, yeah, you, you got to take the opportunities when they're there. I mean, when you've got millions of dollars on the table with WWE, or you know, you're going to obviously consider those options before moving onto the ladder. But shit, that's yeah. hard. You know, I, I've been pretty fortunate. I, I've been I've been offered some cool shit to do in my life. You know yeah. what I mean? And my my thing is, I, I never say no to an exciting opportunity. You know, uh, whether it's you know movies or. Um, you know, fighting, wrestling, whatever. If the opportunity is there and it makes sense, you know, you have to at least consider it. So how did that conversation with Dana White come about then? If you were like, you were headed more wanting to do the amateur rounds. And then once you left WWE and on that hot streak, was it like right away UFC was like, Hey, come here and let's do this. Well, well, so Lorenzo was still there and it was, it was Lorenzo who one day backstage Cause I would go to a lot of shows and they always took great care of me, like ridiculous. You know, they would feed me, they'd give me free clothes. It was That's just all ridiculous. People need. That's all everybody, need. everybody was always just like super, super nice and hospitable. And they, they treated me great. And then one day in the green room, Lorenzo was like, we were all amped up. We just watched some crazy fight. You know, it was like a wild knockout. And Lorenzo grabs me and he goes, man, do you ever think about doing this? And I just went all the fucking time. <laughs> and, he, you know, like I get to see like the twinkle in his eye. And then when I, when I left Cleveland uh, in January of 2000, what was it 14, you know, and, and news broke that I had went home for the duration of my contract or whatever <laughs> it was. That's when Dana texted me and he was like, I heard you left, you know, what's, what's up with Vince? And I was just like, I really don't know. I'm currently suspended. He's suspended me. And he was like, all right, well, whenever you figured out, like, you want to fight? Let's do this. At first I was like, well, that doesn't, you know, what, the, what am I going to do? Like jump right in? Who am I going to fight? How would that work? That's not the way things are done. You know, you train, you take amateur bouts. There's a process. There's a road that is, is most traveled that people do to get there. And then in talking to him, he was just like, no, he's like, you don't, you don't do that. He's like, I'm offering you a lot of money to come fight for me, you know? And he's like, you're going to go fight for free for somebody and you're probably going to make somebody else a whole lot of money. And like, I mean, it made a lot of sense. You know, uh, I call yeah. fights now for um, CFFC, which you can watch on UFC Fight Pass. And sometimes I'm calling amateur fights and amateur fights in there's different rules in different states and different commissions, but more oftentimes than not, amateur fights are contested while they're wearing 
shin guards, sometimes headgear. So it's literally just like you're sparring in the gym. And that's because you really don't want to take a shin, like a, just a naked shin across your forehead for no money. So that kind of turned into, yeah, well, yeah, why do I want to do that at all? <laughs> I'll take a naked shin across my forehead if I'm getting paid, you know, like that's the risk reward kind of deal. And it just sort of blossomed from there. You know, I still talk to Dana and he's always been super, super good to me. And it was, that was literally the idea. I think they flew here on the jet one time. Uh, while they were flying to Toronto to go talk to, or maybe, maybe it was Montreal to go talk to uh, St. Pierre. So they like pit stopped in Chicago. We had dinner and then they got right back on a, a, the jet and, and flew to Montreal to, to go have a meeting with him. Rich people lifestyles, huh? Bizarre. Stop the jet. <laughs> That's insane. Right. Um, what about the parallels between Dana and Vince? Like, are they cut from the same cloth? I think there's levels to it. And obviously you can draw like the, they're both like right wing. A word I'll use is weirdo because obviously they vote based on what's good for their pocketbook. Um, you know, if I had to really compare and contrast, I would say Dana's more generous. Um, I, I think Dana does a lot of stuff for the fighters behind the scenes. I think there's a lot of locker room money thrown around that people don't know about. And he That's gets nice. a lot of flack for, you know, I, that being said, I, I do also think fighters need to get paid a whole hell of a lot more, <laughs> you know, but a lot of that time when he lashes out about when people are complaining about, you know, pay and, and unionization, like it's because he knows, Hey, I just gave that guy 250 grand, like under the table, you know, but he, yeah. he can't talk about it, but he should still pay people more. And then fighters need to get together and unionize anyway. Just like the wrestlers. Yeah. What do you think's going on with that? Do you think that that's going to happen? Nothing no. will happen with that? No. And it's because there's no such thing as the boys. It's a trope. Oh, we're on the road and these people are our family. And like I said, once you're out of the bubble, you don't hear from anybody anymore. Right. Those people don't pay your bills. There's always going to be a handful of people that will undercut everybody else just to get ahead a little bit. Um, yeah. And there's, there seems to be a lot of people that um, not only are just by nature are bootlickers, they just love the taste. <laughs> so they just, you're Keep supposed to lick, supposed to lick the boot. You're not supposed to eat the entire thing. What's your take on like the whole thing that's been going on with WWE wrestlers with no Twitch accounts, no cameos, no little side hustles. Everyone's got to shut it down. Even if you're going under a different name or whatever, but that's all coming to a screeching halt. And then somebody like Zelina um, Vega, who played your wife in a movie. Okay, yeah. So I'll, I'll, okay. So this is where I'll get controversial and I'll, I'll piss Perfect. a lot of people off. I don't know Xavier Woods. I met him in Atlanta. He was doing a dark match one time. Um, he came up and, and asked me for advice or maybe it was, hey, did you see my match? I don't know. And he was always a good wrestler. He could always do everything, but there wasn't like a character for him at that time. And obviously he's become like a pretty big superstar. And from what I understand, he's big on Twitch. He's a big video gamer and all this other stuff. So I don't know what's going on with his Twitch channel. So I don't want to speak out of turn about that. But like, I just saw he, he was like petitioning to get he a job with G4. G4. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Does WWE get money from that? Why is it okay for him to do that? But Zelina Vega can't have a Twitch. That was always my thing. And I, I, I think people have labeled me a, a complainer or, or whiny because I would always be the guy that'd be like, wait, why is so-and-so able to do this? Because there was always outside interest and not just for me. I remember one particular person got a role playing a wrestler because they knew somebody who was producing this television show for this certain channel. And then when it got shuffled to the office, it all of a sudden, no, you can't do that. And then yeah. the next thing you know, John Cena is doing it. Yeah. They would literally take every single request that came through and they would funnel it to the one person that they wanted to be the face of the company. I went, uh, <laughs> this is, this is awesome. I went, uh, on a, it was a bachelor party for my buddy Jensen. We went to a pinball factory here in Chicago, um, where they make a lot of the pinball games. And a lot of people don't know that like midway, is it midway? Maybe, I don't know. But anyway, so we we're there and like the guy giving us the tour 
guy who owned the, the, the factory and all these pinball machines in this company, he was like, yeah, we wanted you on our WrestleMania WWE pinball machine. They said no. And I was like, what do you mean they said no? They were like, no, don't put him on that. We want this guy on it. And we were like, oh, whatever. And we just did it. Still to this day, I'll hear stuff like that, you know, where people would be like, oh, we reached out and we, you know, we had this offered for you. And it's, they either never the got, they either never get back or they say, it's like when THQ wanted me on the cover of the video game, I was forwarded the emails where they said, no, 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 Seamus, Miz, or John Cena. To their credit, Bryce, who is the, the head of that, all that stuff, he was like, no, 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 we want CM Punk. He's like literally the guy right now. And that might change in six months, but we don't care. Like he's the popular guy. So, you know. Uh. That, that stuff's so infuriating. I've had so many people say things like that to me since I've left to have like, oh, we pitched this for you. We wanted you to host a fucking cooking show with wrestlers. I'm like, yeah, no shit. That would be great. Nope. They don't give it to me. They gave it yep. to Bo Dallas. I love Bo Dallas. Go get it. <laughs> do what you got to do. But like, fuck, like I could never catch a break. Like I, I couldn't get anything done. I couldn't even get a podcast off the ground. Like give me a fucking podcast. Nobody gives a shit about that, but still, nope, you can't do it. No dice. This has just turned into a real fucking sour grapes interview. Hasn't it? <laughs> no. Okay. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Fuck it all. Let's talk about nice things. Okay. Let's talk about you doing commentary for CFFC. Cause it seems like you fucking love it. Oh, I absolutely love it. I despise being away from April. I despise being away from Larry. I have a routine here, especially during the pandemic. Oh man, yeah. do I have a routine? You know, What's wake your routine? up. I mean, it's it's wake up. I sing songs to Larry to wake him up. He gives me kisses. <laughs> Wait, are these I, like I, originally written songs? Oh or yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got at least a dozen songs. And so it's, it's a way to communicate. Like he knows what certain songs mean. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, that's the food song. I think it's or, like doing like you know? the song for Mac and me. They're like, Ooh, whatever. If you've seen Mac and me, I don't know. Anyways, no, I haven't. It's an old movie no. about aliens. No, but I, I love doing the commentary. So it's just like hate flying, especially now in the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. um, it sucks. And then when I get home, I'm quarantined from my wife in my own house until I, you know, I wait. I think it's two, three days, and then I get tested, and then I wait another one to three days for results. But I absolutely love CFFC. Um, they are a super classy organization that has tremendous production, and the talent is crazy. We've sent more people to, to UFC than I think than, than any other organization. I mean, it's just like the indies, you know, it's just like you find a guy that on the indies, like, holy crap, this guy's awesome. And then Who all are some of the people that you like have your eye on? There's a guy named uh, Paul Capaldo, trains out of Nick Catone, MMA. What a name. Uh, oh, yeah. He's Pauly Paul C. Capaldo. What a goon this guy is. He's <laughs> He just eats, sleeps, breathes MMA. Paul Capaldo is a guy, I think, that is eventually going to be in the UFC. Um, Pat Sabatini, I like to call him the boogeyman. He can't find fights. Nobody wants mm. to sign up to fight this guy. and it's, He doesn't it's, have a, a clock with worms? No, no, he doesn't. Um, but it's just hard finding people to to fight him because on this level, a lot of guys are right there. They're on that cusp. And if they, they lose, matchmakers in UFC tend to be like, okay, next. They take their eight by 10 and they put it on the bottom of the pile. Oh. And uh, Santo Curatolo is another, is another guy. He was undefeated. He just lost the uh, flyweight title. At this level, it's going to be interesting to see him bounce back. But those are the three guys I would I would throw out. You mentioned them like jumping between weight classes and whatnot. How was that for you getting in shape for UFC? Because you were lean as fuck. You know, it's funny. I still said I was fat. You're so stupid. Yeah. Uh, no, I thought, it, you know, the process wasn't really that hard. It was because I just stayed in shape and I dieted down, you know. I mean, I'm every bit of 205 pounds right now. And uh, I think that's kind of normal cut from 205 or like 190 to get to 170. And the first cut went great. The second cut was fucking abysmal. Everything that could have gone wrong leading up to my second fight absolutely went wrong. Like what? <laughs> uh, not being able to water load to weight cut because I had to be in court every morning during fight week. <laughs> that was maybe, oh, maybe, not a, maybe not a good idea. 
I, like your body and, must have just wanted to shut down when you were done all that. Like just like your brain overloading core, getting ready for another yeah. fight. Like, geez. There was a ton of stuff that went wrong and I don't like bringing it up and I've never brought it up because I feel it's disrespectful to Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson beat my ass for three rounds and I lost the fight and I'm like, okay, you know, that's it. I feel going back now because I watch guys do it all the time. I watch guys go back and say, oh, well, I lost because of this and I lost because of this. And I don't like saying that. I feel like it disrespects um, Mike Jackson and it takes away from his win. Even the thing about the court, like, which I don't think a lot of people know, but if you look at my body for the first fight and my body for the second fight, you can see the big difference. I was lean in the first fight. Second fight, thought I looked like shit. And it's because I felt like shit physically and mentally. I was just shot. And I was shot because of that trial. But I won that. Big, yeah, big huge, victory. Huge, huge, huge victory. victory. Um, what was AJ's response when you told her that you were going to fight? Because I often think about that with John. And I'm like, what would, I, like, what would my reaction be if he said that to me? I mean, he's UFC obsessed. He's always out training, doing stuff. And I just can't imagine. I don't know if I remember a specific reaction, but I'm positive that it wasn't uh, elation. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of like the reaction a mother would give a son, you know, uh, worry, but also she backs me a hundred percent. I could tell her that I'm, we got to move to Texas because I'm going to become an astronaut, you know, for NASA. And she would be like, all right. She would go on (laughs) realtor.com and just start like looking at houses, you know what I mean? And vice versa. How did your guys' relationship change outside of WWB? I mean, you guys met there. You spent all your time together there. And then you guys, I mean, she le- how, how long after you left did she leave? Wasn't that long after you. I mean, it was a solid year. Yeah. It's kind of like John sure. and I. John, John was gone at least a year, maybe a year and a half before I left. But when yeah. your whole lives together, as you know them, are within that bubble and then you're yes. outside of it. Did anything change with you guys? I don't know if anything changed. I mean, it was just hard. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm being sued by this company. There was probably like a lot of arguments and a lot of fights that were mostly just a manifestation of just me being fucking angry. You know, like, woe is me shit. Like, fuck, this is happening to me. And nobody said that was that was a hard time when people are texting you being like, hey, here's a story about that guy that's suing you. And I just be like, man, that could help me but you're not, you're not helping me. Awesome. That's great. Thanks a lot. It was hard on her because she still worked there and also her neck got messed up. There's just a lot going on, but I think it made us stronger, obviously, because we, we survived it all. We lived through it. And I now have the mind to look back at it and be like, yeah, at least 50% of that was just me being fucking angry at like some external shit. You know what I mean? And that's the person that's that's next to you. Yeah. Like that's the person that's next to you. And so you, you take it out on them, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it's helped me realize that, Oh yeah, that's a thing that may be a thing I do. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to not do that anymore. Let's talk about AJ for a bit because she has been gladly just everything she's been doing outside, um, you know, since she left WWE and writing her book and being such an advocate for mental health and all of the other writing that she's working on. I mean, I always see you posting about how proud you are of her and all the projects that she's working on. But like, what is she, what is she up to? Like, what's her day to day? Like, it's a lot of writing, you know, um, there's specific things that I want to talk to you about. There's, (laughs) There's specific, but I can't for a multitude of reasons, you know, like I'm not one to talk about something that I have, you know, cooking, because what if it doesn't happen? You know, what if something falls through? And she's got a lot of stuff that she's working on that I'm super excited about. Movies, television, in the mental health side of things. uh, There's so many things, but she's, she's upstairs right now. She's writing. Uh, Okay. So what about for you, movie wise? Do you mostly just want to stick to doing horror movies or are you open to whatever? I have a manager now, and this is only about, Whoa. this is, I, I know, I wow. know. The, okay. The punk, the punk rock kid has a fucking manager. Um, Bougie little shit. I'm, you know, I'm navigating all this stuff by myself. I'm fortunate to have a lot of friends who I can uh, learn from and pick their brain. So, you know, you can have an agent, you can have a manager, you can have both, you can have a publicist, you know, and yeah, I just get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and I'm just like, yeah. ugh. Um, but I was talking to a couple people 
and I had a, a great conversation with this gentleman. His name is Andrew Tettenbaum of ATA Management in New York. You know, you basically just want somebody who's going to work their ass off for you. And this guy's already sent me like so many things and I'm like self-taping for, and you know, that's the thing. Like I hate self-taping. I'm a perfectionist, so it could always be better, I think. And I wind up recording and re-recording and re-recording and, and I, I, and I get in my own head about it, but it's just like, you're never going to get a role if you don't at least try to tape for it. You know, and I, I do think seldomly people get the job based on self-tapes, but you ain't never going to get the fucking job if you don't do it. Of course. Um, right before the pandemic, we wrapped on a movie called Jacob's Wife. This was with um, the mustache? Yes, the mustache. Yes, you, you remember. Mustachioed. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I was looking forward to being on backstage with it, wasn't yeah, I? And you, and then yeah, it and you didn't have it. I was pissed. I no, but I, I, too. I think I had it and then the show got canceled. Oh, I think. maybe that, or maybe we were just like from home or like something. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. I, so I don't know when Jacob's wife's coming out because post-production probably about, that about a solid year. It's about marriage. Okay. So with this supernatural slant to it, I okay. really can't give away too much <laughs> because it's are you, so good. Are you Jacob? No, I'm okay. not Jacob. I'm Officer Colton. Okay. Little homage to Near Dark. If there's horror fans out there, they'll know what I'm talking about. Okay. So horror genre is kind of what you stick with, but you're down. Like, would you do like a rom com? Oh, in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. I, I I told so I told I told my manager Andrew. I was just like, because he was like, well, what's the kind of stuff do you want to do? And I was literally like, everything. I want to do everything. Let's do it all. But if I got pigeonholed as like a horror guy. I'm kind of not going to be mad about it. You know what I mean? I'll be okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm down to do everything. Okay. So let's manifest here a little bit. Who are the okay. people that you would love to work with? Like your dream people you would love to team up with on a movie. I feel I like you've got to put it out there to the world. Let them know. And I have, I, I've done that. I've, I've tweeted this and the list was Dave Batista. I'll do something with Dave. He's really navigated that world quite well, huh? Yes, yes, he has, and I love everything he's done. Have you yeah. watched like any? Have you watched like Bushwick or like? I mean, like there, every amazing. single movie he does. He's just um, been put in such a great position to shine that to like get yeah. his feet wet and then like grow and build and just the roles have all been so great for him. And he's yeah, the way he's handled his uh, film career has been really impressive. He's in Dune. Like I remember texting him and being like, "Dude." Dude, what the fuck? Um, That's crazy. So Dave, I'll do something with Dave. Uh, I would love to do something with O'Shea Jackson Jr. Because um, I'm a fan of his too. Yeah. Um, God, I mean, I feel like there's so many talented actresses out there that I'm just like a fan of. Like, Ooh, yeah. Like who would be your like perfect like movie wife? April, oh, I don't know. plug your ears. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, you might be able to ask Ape that and she'll probably give you a better answer. She'll probably, okay. she'd probably say like, maybe, I don't know, Anna Kendrick, maybe. Oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. I just, <laughs> come on. Who doesn't like Pitch Perfect? Are you shitting me? I know. I'm on. It's fine. I get You're it. Ridiculous. And I appreciate it. I actually do like Anna Kendrick in a lot of different movies, but um, I feel like she kind of got cursed with that being just like rammed down our throats for too long. Where it's like, we get it. You're cute. You're funny. We get it. I, what a curse. I know. I'm, I'm cursed the same way. You know, <laughs> uh, there's so many. I mean, you're not going to turn down doing a scene with Harrison Ford, you know, my absolute hero. There's so many people out there that I would love to work with. And I, and I think. Travis Stevens, the writer and director of Girl on the Third Floor, has made me realize that like there's probably like a lot of directors and writers and stuff like that that I would love to to be out there and working with. I mean, I got to work with the Saska sisters, who I've been a fan of since they released Dead Hooker in a Trunk. So again, what a what a I hate saying blessed because I feel like that has a religious connotation. So I like to say fortunate. You know, I've been yeah, pretty, and you know, I've been life pretty can lucky. just be life can be really cool sometimes. It's very cool yes. the way some things work out and um, paths lead to certain things. And like, yeah, I mean, even the fact that I was able to like write a cookbook, I can't believe that that actually happened. It's still hilarious to me that someone let me do that. It's crazy. Well, it's awesome. Well, I mean, do you think you suffer from like imposter syndrome? Oh, with everything I do. Yeah. Every yeah, little thing I same. do, I'm like, who's gonna find me out? 
So here's what I've discovered in my 42 years on earth is everybody feels that way. I think you're an asshole if you don't feel like that. The successful people are the ones that just fucking ignore it and they just do. I always go back to me fighting in the UFC. It's easy for somebody on the outside to be like, well, you lost. It's a failure. You're a loser. And I just go, yeah, but I did it. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to be on a deathbed or my life's not going to flash before my eyes. And I'm going to go, man, I wish I did that because I did it. And I look at that like everything, everything in my life, you know, from when I went into the, 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 the room with Vincent Hunter and I was just like, guys, going home. I did it. I look at fighting the movies I've done, all these opportunities, and I have no regrets. I never said no to anything that I wanted to do. Um, I've never agreed to do anything that I didn't want to do. And if that's failure to some people, then I just, I kind of feel bad for them. And I, I just move on to the next fucking thing. But everybody, everybody feels that way. I, I said it on the first week on set, the girl on the third floor, I was like, Hey guys, after every fucking take, I'd go, guys, you watch these dailies and turns out you're like, Ooh, we made a mistake. Let me know early, you know, cause I can just <laughs> pick up my wife and my dog and we can go home and, you know, no harm, yeah. no foul, you know, but everything's like a learning experience, like even the bad stuff. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is funny. I've always felt like that when I'm labeled as a broadcaster, cause I don't know shit about being a broadcaster. I actually don't even know shit about conducting an interview. Really. I'm just shooting the shit with you. But when people are like, Oh, you should do that. That's a thing you should do. I really don't know that that's even true. I have not a clue. It always throws mm. me for a loop. I always know you've like done, like you've done, liar. you've done famously for yourself. I remember when you first got there and I was always, I was always like, she needs to do commentary. And it wasn't so much so that you I thought, did that to me. No, 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 no. See, it wasn't <laughs> so much that I thought you were brilliant at commentary. I'd never heard you commentate shit, but knowing at the level the commentary was and who was always there, <laughs> yeah. I was always just like, fucking just change shit up. Yeah. Like do something different. I'm begging you. You know, I was a huge advocate for that as well of like, let's change that shit. Let's make it a little bit different. And then they're like, fine. And then yeah. you're stuck there. Going, and, then, and then you, and then you realize <laughs> Whoops, you got the headset on and you're like, Oh my God, like, what, what is going fuck? on? I'll <laughs> yeah. never forget. I'll never forget the look on Michael Cole, especially Jerry Lawler. Cause I was seated next to Jerry Lawler. I had just narrowly avoided surgery on my hip. Here's a great story for you. It's like two days before my birthday. I'm wrestling on the bragging rights pay-per-view. We're in either St. Paul um, or Minneapolis, Minnesota, Target Center. I don't know. And it's cold as fuck in the building. And I ran six miles. That was my workout in the morning. I look back now thinking like, man, on days you wrestled, you really didn't need to fucking work out, you no. know? And I can't get warm and I can't get loose for this match. And I tear my gluteus medius muscle, which apparently is very, very hard to tear. Edge gave me his suplex where he bumps me on my belly. It feels like a rubber band in my hip pops. And then I'm supposed to do a leapfrog to avoid his spear. And I can't jump. Like I'm just fucked. And I get back and Dean Malenko's like, oh, it looks like you're hurt. You okay? And I'm like, I don't know. Something exploded in my hip. And once I get off the trainer's table, like I can't walk. I think I got an MRI. It was my birthday. And I think I did commentary in Green Bay, even though I could barely walk. And I like limped to the ring. And it was, I was always just like, well, I'm hurt. Like, why do I have to be on television? Like, just let me fucking go home. I flew to Nashville to get surgery. And the doctor was like, how did you get in here? And I was like, what do you mean? I, I just, I walked. And he was like, if you tore your glute medius, he's like, you're not going to be walking as well as you are. He puts me in his MRI machine, which is way more high tech than whichever one I got previous. And then he gets, gets me into his office and he's got two computer screens and he shows me both MRIs. And the first MRI, he's like, you see this? It looks torn off the bone. He's like, and you see mine, this white area? He's like, it's just torn. He's like, I'm not operating on you. You just need to do physical therapy and, and rehab and you'll be fine. And I was stoked because that meant I'm not getting cut. No surgery is bueno. And then I could just go home and fuck off until, you know, I needed that refresher. I needed to be off TV. 
Isn't that crazy how people like you get it and get like an injury like that? You're like, okay, as long as I don't need surgery, it just means I can have a little bit of time off. Great. Thank God. I remember, I remember when Paul London broke Chavo's face and Chavo was like so stoked because it was an injury that enabled him to still be able to do everything. He could still work out. He can go running on the beach. He can swim. He could do everything. His face was just broken. And he was so fucking excited because he was like, yeah, I'm not in a sling. I'm not, I don't got ACL surgery, nothing. He's like, dude went on vacation, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I get home and Vince calls me and he's like, I heard you didn't need surgery. That's great. Sending you a plane ticket. We're going to have you do commentary until you're ring ready. And I was bummed because I didn't want to fly. And I remember the first night on commentary, Vince started yelling in my headset and I elbowed Lawler. I wrote a note to him. I was like, which is the volume button? And he pointed to it and I turned it all the way down. When we took the headsets off after the show, I was like, did you not know you could do that? He's like, I mean, I knew I could do that. He's like, we're going to get yelled at. Vince never said anything to me. (laughs) I used to have moments like that too, where he would be giving me shit in my ears and I would just sort of like, you know, hear his information, but I didn't like sell it to the camera. And he'd be like, did you hear me? And I would just like stare in the camera, like just burn a hole through it. Like, yes, I heard you. I just found it to be difficult. Like I'm trying to do a job. I'm trying to watch this and call what's going on. And if you're yelling at me to say stuff, it's not helping. So I just turned them off. And I don't know why more people don't do that. God, why didn't you tell me that years ago? That would have made my (laughs) life a hell of a lot easier. Shit. Another funny story, I was doing commentary with Josh Matthews one time and Cena took the monitors off the table and they broke the table and he chased Wade Barrett out of the, the thing and we couldn't see because we had no monitors and Vince yelled, call what's in the fucking monitors, call what's in the monitors. And Josh live on the air goes, we don't have any fucking monitors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's nothing better than a moment of like real reality like that during the show. It's the absolute best. I would always crack up like like watching like Cole get mad or watching Graves get mad. But then we'd all just have like a total laugh during the next on camera. Like I remember doing an on camera one time and we were saying something. I think we were saying something about Bray Wyatt. Anyways, one of the at one of the times we had to take it very very seriously, like whatever's going on with the Firefly Funhouse and. I was going to say something and I guess Vince didn't like what I said. So he's yelling at me during the on-cam, a 15 second on-cam. I'm like, well, I can't recover from this. So I started talking and then just shut up and like blankly stared into the camera for the rest of the on-cam. Like there's no yeah. way to recover from that shit. Yeah, it's, it's deflating. It is yeah. the worst. Um, okay. So we've talked about an abundance of different things here today. I don't know if there's anything yes. that we missed, but one thing I would love to know is what would it take? For you to get back into a wrestling ring. It needs to happen. There's no, like, it just, it has to, right? Well, I, I think the landscape is currently much different than when I left, right? You could play the, the game where you're like, oh, if AEW was an option, would you have gone right after you left WWE? You know, if you're going to play that game, there's no way they would have handled it the way they handled it with... Right suspending me for two months and then nobody contacting me. And then the next thing I know, I get release papers on my wedding day. That wouldn't have happened if there was an AEW because then they probably would have approached me and been like, Hey, your suspension's up, ready to come back to work. Like, let's work this out, you know, Mm -hmm. or handle it like any other sports organization would have, would have handled, you know, star pitcher fucking going home. You know, they're not just going to let them leave the team. They're not going to let them go to a a rival organization. Um, What would it take? Oh, gosh. I, uh, without wanting to insult anybody on either side of the fence, any WWE talent, or AEW talent, it would take above all an interesting scenario, a story that would be fun to tell also just the stupidest amount of money but they could save themselves a whole lot of money if they just presented uh just like a a, a fun storyline now what that is i don't know i'm a pretty picky guy especially at this point you know i, I think there's more interesting people on the AEW side of things for me to wrestle but that's just because i've never wrestled them before right young bucks kenny omega you know, talking about your husband, like I look at that and I go, well, I wrestled him already. So Mm -hmm. it's just 
less interesting than something new. And on the, on the WWE side of things, I don't know that there's anybody there currently that I haven't wrestled that I would be interested in wrestling. Would you have ever wanted to wrestle Joe in WWE? Yeah, but what are we doing? Are we just having a wrestling match? You yeah. know, like um, the Ring of Honor stuff we did was like a labor of love. You know what I mean? Because you had all the creative input and in coming up with that. And it was really just we we're back against the wall and Joe had beat everybody already. So it was like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm the next opponent. And if he just beats me, what do we do? At that time, I was obsessed with 60 minute draws. It just turned into, well, why don't we go 60? And then you're still the champ and you haven't beat me. So maybe that's something we can play off in the future. And, you know, we did. Okay. So that's still a dot, dot, dot to be determined. Either a, a shit did you ton think of you, money did you or a think great there was going to be an, did you think, I feel like a shit bag even saying that shit ton of money <laughs> thing, but that's just like, you know, it's, I right? don't think there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong well, with saying the, that on, at all. On the, on the WWE side of things, it's like, let's be honest. We got fucking, there's baggage, right? Of there's stuff course. that's, there's stuff that's got to be worked through. Like, yeah. so I don't even know. I don't know how you get there. I don't, I really don't. What about new Japan? Is that something that you'd ever look into? Oh, dabbling in again? that's, there's this huge part of me that never wanted, like the goal wasn't to be a WWE superstar. You know what I mean? I was content with wrestling in Japan, but Japan was a lot different when I went over there and I got told by Hashimoto as he was paying me, was uh, you, um, good worker, uh, too big for cruiserweight, too small for heavyweight. And I was like, that sucks. Thanks a lot. But yeah, things are different now. And I, I do think there's guys in New Japan. I think Okada, but even saying that is just like, I haven't really seen a lot of his stuff. I apologize profusely, Okada-san. One of these days, maybe I'll get around to it. Maybe I'm going to get on the treadmill and I'll watch some go. of your stuff right now. I, I just sound like the old guy who doesn't fucking know what's going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> the way that I'm interpreting this is that you're open to perhaps a line of communication. I thought I've always said that, but it's just like Lorenzo and Dana being like, Hey, would you ever want to do this? And me going, what? Like yeah. that didn't mean I put gloves on and I jumped in the fucking cage that instant. It was a process, you know, um, great Batman villain said, if you're good at something, you never do it for free. Not that I'm looking for a job. I'm actually looking to do a shit ton of acting. But you ask the questions and I give you the answers. Yeah. That's, how this, the, that's how this podcast works. I have one last request to wrap this up. Okay. A Can request? It's a request. <laughs> <laughs> Can you sing us off with a Larry song? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, let me... I'll get you were doing so vocal warm ups before we started this. I wasn't. I tell you, I was a lie. Larry. This is fantastic. Come here, Lair Bear. Uh, we got a million names for him, too. He's he's Larry. He's Bobo. He's Bubba. What Look a at him. Sweet man. Yeah. What a good boy. All okay, right. So um, this is probably the first one that I ever came up with. And it's the morning song. And it goes like this. Good morning, Larry. How are you doing? Don't you know that you're the best? It's good to see you. Scratch on your walnut head. And then I scratch on your chest. I hope you slept good. I know that I did. Because I slept next to you. Oh, yeah. Let's take a walk outside. I'll drink coffee. And you can squeeze out a poo. There you go. You son of a bitch. <laughs> There's way more to that song than I thought. There's like this whole story. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was just gonna be a quick little jingle. That's amazing. No, that's it. That's it. That's every. That's every. That's every fucking morning. This guy, and he knows. And he wiggles. He's like, "Oh yeah, He's going so out, spoiled. going out." He what is. a good life. He's very spoiled. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and doing this podcast with me and letting me pick your brain. And um, oh, no hopefully, problem. Hopefully, the internet will be cool to us. But I mean, if nothing <sighs> else, we got a Larry song. Yeah, that'll that'll be. Oh, Jesus. Why did That's I do that? That's the big um, takeaway. That's the big uh, takeaway. <laughs> so you're going to have to promise me whenever stuff opens up and we're able to promise me you'll have me back. Maybe I'll have you more swear. to talk about that. You can join me in this floral room and I'll order pizza. Uh, we'll have pizza. I didn't bust your balls about the name of your podcast. What are you doing? Well, I think it's funny. Oral sessions. So right. here's my thing, no. though. I get it. I understand why people are, are, would be up in arms about it, but like, 
if you say the word oral, it doesn't have to mean oral sex. You know, it doesn't have to. It's either that or it's a podcast about dentistry. <laughs> well, the way I was looking and at it was I was like, how, what can I say? Like, what are other words for like a conversation or something with a mouth? It's a and conversation came piece. Up and I was like, oral yeah. sessions. Yeah, go. I don't know. I mean, maybe the buzz will go away and people just be like, whatever, it's fine. But yeah, it's the decision. And I'm sticking with it. All right. Welcome. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks. thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. <It's> awful. <laughs> I'm not changing it, but if I do give, I could, I could make it floral sessions as you suggested. There you go. There you so go. I'll give, I'll give you a writer's credit for that. We'll see. Eh. I'm not using it. Oral sessions. <laughs> like, subscribe, download, share my podcast. <laughs> Hell of an interview in the books. Yeah, it was just, it was so cool to be able to pick his brain. I mean, obviously, on the wrestling side is one thing. Uh, and then getting to pick his brain in the MMA world and his whole journey um, through everything that's happened with MMA and UFC and whatnot, and then kind of back into WWE and what that future could potentially look like for him. So, yes, it ended with a dot, dot, dot. But who knows? Maybe someday down the line, we get to hear that. Ba-na-na-na. I can't do this music. I tried. I was just going to really lean into trying to do the music and I hesitated. Yeah, I can't do it. Anyways, you guys, you know, you get my point. Maybe we'll get to see it at some point. But either way, the man's looking for some acting gigs. He seems very happy uh, and and at peace with where he's at in life right now. So we will continue to be CM Punk fans, um, depending on whatever project he ends up working on next. But anyways, yes, absolutely. To Punk, I will take him up on that offer that the next time that we can get together when the world is clean and free and everything is great that we can do an in-person one-on-one interview in the same room, order in some pizza, and just have another hangout. It's great doing these through Zoom. I'm so happy we're able to do it that way. But yeah, it would be badass as all hell to be able to do it in real, real, in real life, y'all. All right, this has been another episode of Oral Sessions. I'll see you guys next week. We have another titillating guest on the show. Uh, you know, like, subscribe, share. Do all those things you do with podcasts. Hey, and uh, you guys wrote some really freaking cool um, reviews on iTunes and whatnot. So I really appreciate the hell out of that. You guys are the best. Also, continue to check out YouTube because on YouTube, I'm going to have more of these links from the interviews. You guys can check them all out there. See ya.